everybody, this is Andre. Just wanted to give a quick trigger warning before the episode starts. We do talk about some of the recent news and the mass shootings and their relation to technology and 8chan in this episode. So if that is going to affect you, um, look at the show notes. I will mark very clearly where that starts and where it ends, uh, just so you don't have to listen to it. And hope you have a good day. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Hacker Slacker. I'm Jacob Pettigord. I'm Andre Garive. Today we're joined by a very special guest. Yes, we are. Yeah, hello guys. My name is Shing Jae. I'm, uh, I was interning at Zilla with Jacob this entire summer, so yeah, I'm happy to be on the show. We got uh, one half of my room here for the roommate podcast. Yep. Shing Jae also goes to Nebraska with us. Yep, he's a student at the Rakes program with us. Zilla interned with me, roommate. I've been putting up with him all summer. So uh, our main topic today is just kind of going to be a wrap-up of this experience because this is our last podcast in seattle yes and there likely won't be one a week from now but you will get a special first birthday podcast uh coming around the 17th of august yep yep so get excited for that stuff we got a lot of really good news this week but we are going to start with some follow-up first of all um i think i mentioned last week that i've been trying to get on the ios beta um and i realized I've actually been on an iOS beta this whole time. It was just last year's beta because my phone was having trouble updating and I was trying to figure out, you know, like what's going on. And then I looked at my version number and it's like, oh, I'm still on like early iOS 12. Oh, wait, it hasn't been updating because I'm still on the latest iOS beta for the last version of iOS. And so... I had to like manually install the latest iTunes or iOS version through iTunes on my laptop like an animal and I still can't get it to update or take the beta so um, it might just be a new phone kind of thing for me which is sad because I wanted to try new reminders Um, but we don't have to wait too much longer because it's August and all that stuff August already yeah that stuff comes next month so I mean we're getting there Um, I think I can just hold out Uh, Andre will be our, our beta master until yes. then, I will be the one who has to deal with all of the issues that come along with having the iOS 13 beta. So the beta program only lasted like three months then, right? Or... Yeah, it starts in about July. I'm on the developer beta one too, oh, okay, cool. so I've been there since it broke yeah. all the time. Um, and it's nice to have. It's fun to use. It's fun to talk about. Uh, I don't think it's worth just the developer profile, but I'll likely be getting more out of the developer profile than just the beta. Um, and it... It is just a kind of a fun thing to have, and you get it in June, July-ish, and you can have it until August, um, September, when the actual phone and OS is released. Sure. Yeah, WWDC is like early July, and then the phone's always released in September, so the beta's just in between those two events. Yes. Um, but yeah. So speaking of new Apple products, um, yep. they released to a random assortment of people who had signed up for the preview the Apple card. Um yeah, we said the Apple Card would be coming out, Apple's credit card would be coming out sometime in August. We didn't realize it would be like next week hitting some people's phones. Yes, and some people included me. I got the, an email saying, hey, you're invited to apply for the Apple Card. And so I did, obviously. Yeah. Did it for the content. Um, <laughs> and now I have an Apple Card. Um, the actual physical one is being shipped to me right now, but I've been looking around at the wallet UI and I've used it a couple times and it's just like, it's really smooth. Yeah, um, just like a fancied up Goldman Sachs card is basically what it like a nice interface. It's kind yeah. of like those financial apps like um, Mint and stuff, like their fancy interface on like a normal MasterCard backed by Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I'll I show saw Andre use it today. Yeah, I'll show Shengjie and Jacob my UI for like the payments I've made. I paid for laundry earlier today and yeah. That's a clean I UI. paid for some boba and it just 
it is better than any banking app, honestly. Yeah. It, it's just so much better. Um, so you're using it with Apple Pay right now, but yes. the physical card is on the way. Mm-hmm. And so I likely won't stuff. be using it that much, but it will replace my Amex Platinum card in my wallet for the fancy-looking card that I mm-hmm. hold on to. Yeah, and if they release it like by the end of the month, it'll probably be my first credit card still, so yeah. I'm on the lookout for that. It's an exciting time in the world of tech and finance. Okay, next piece of follow-up we have is that uh, Huawei, who has you know been rumored to be working on their own OS after the whole trade issues um, when they might lose Android, um, a lot of people were suggesting that their OS isn't really ready for the big time, that it's just like a negotiations tactic. They were saying, like, we don't need Android, we are working on our own stuff. Um, but they are actually saying that, no, we have this OS. Um, there was a rumor that, or um, a report that they may be releasing a phone on sale later this year, running on the OS. It's called uh, Hanmeng, and so the phone would be a, like a low-cost um, phone, not unlike some other Chinese brands we've seen, uh, around 300 US dollars, only on sale in China. But it's kind of, you know, the proof is in the pudding that if they did get cut out from Android, that um, this is their other option, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, Huawei they're massive globally and it could create the biggest third OS player in yeah. the mobile phones since we've seen since Windows Phone. Probably won't affect anybody in the US, not for a long time if ever, um, but it will be interesting to see how it could do in China where, you know, being a brand from, like, from the country has such a large impact on what you're able to reach. Yeah, I mean, one of the most interesting things to me here is the fact that um, Huawei is kind of forced into making this innovation. Um, they, which is kind of bad for innovation. Like obviously some innovations are great because they're forced. And when you look at a lot of Apple products, it's because people like Steve Jobs decided to force employees to yeah. make these products. But uh, one thing here is that they were very quickly forced to whip together an operating system. So I don't know if anything about it is going to make it particularly better than Android. Yeah, there was definitely like external pressure. It wasn't like they did it just because it was something like they had a great idea for it. Yeah. You know, like I'll be curious to see if they're bringing anything special to it or if it's just going to be an Android clone that could allow exactly. them to get around trade laws. Like, you know? is it just going to look like one OS um, on Samsung devices or is yeah. it going to look different? I honestly don't know. But we might see later this year, so it's exciting stuff either way. Um, speaking of interesting stuff, our French hoverboarder friend, yeah, who we mentioned last week, he, did cr- it. he crashed into the English Channel on his first attempt um, because the landing he missed his landing pad. So basically, yeah. um, when I was thinking hoverboard, what we've seen, and what I've seen at least, is these like jet-powered ones that work with kind of like a jet ski engine where mm-hmm. they're shooting water out of the bottom. Um, but what I didn't realize was that this guy actually had one that was, you know, like purely powered yeah, by air. Yeah, it's like air propulsion. So it's like, so cool. it looks like he's standing on top of a drone, but it's not like using propellers or anything. Like it's no. literal jets. Yeah. And so it's really cool in the way that like, it's actually kind of closer to a hoverboard than we've seen before, mm-hmm. even if it's us- it's using these crazy loud jet engines. Um, and the thing can only fly for 10 minutes. It yeah. goes pretty fast, but... Um, he had to do like a mid-air refueling. Yeah, he had to do. A, he had to land on a refueling pad halfway across the channel, and so for his second attempt, he made the pad a little bit bigger, was able to successfully complete the landing, and also did it on the French side of the English Channel. Yep, and refueled, made it across the English Channel on a hoverboard, which you know, exciting day for mankind, yeah. I guess. And he didn't die. That was cool. He also didn't die. Yeah. So, I thought that was interesting. Um, the 
hoverboard is called the Flyboard Air, and it has four turbojets and like a computer system on board that keeps it stabilized. I don't think this stuff is you know coming to consumers anytime soon. Like with a lot of this like jetpack stuff we've seen. Um, but like the most interesting related story I saw to it was that during some of the French protest stuff, he flew this hoverboard over the protests holding like an assault rifle. Um, and it was part of some like French military research project. The whole thing just like sounded super dystopian. It was, yeah. it was a interesting use case for the technology. Um, but I do think it's funny that, you know, the military is the one that's interested in these sorts of, yeah. uh, this, these pieces of tech. Cause I mean, obviously it's not going to be used for like public transportation no. anytime soon. No. All right. Uh, let's get into the news. So I don't remember if I talked about this on the actual podcast, but I definitely tweeted about it and then I retweeted myself <laughs> because I was right. Um, Disney announced their super bundle with Disney, Hulu, and ESPN+. It is ad-supported Hulu, so it's essentially the free Hulu you get with Spotify Student. Yep. Um, it's what I currently use, but it also comes with ESPN+. Plus. It's twelve ninety nine a month, so that is basically saying ESPN+, Plus is about $5 a month. So they're saying Disney Plus is about $6 a month um, because you can also get Hulu ad-supported for basically free from mm-hmm. Spotify. Um, so still Disney Plus for six-ish dollars a month, not bad at all. Well, yeah, and this is what we talked about could be Disney's strength all along is, is that they, they own all own these everything. separate brands. We definitely like mentioned this before. And so pulling these together into one bundle definitely helps you know the value of it and it people makes sense. people were really questioning if they were ever going to do this and it's definitely a good sign that they did because that price point is not much more than just you know one netflix subscription these days oh it's less because of the price bumps for at True. least the top end netflix uh-huh and so like you know it's the it's the you have ads on hulu still but the fact that they're bringing together you know your general inter- entertainment your family educate your family entertainment for the kids yeah. and also sports and the fact that disney owns marvel yeah so all of the marvel and the content marvel on movies. disney plus so like you get a lot of the newer movies and so like just there's nothing really that competes that broadly not at all especially if disney or if espn plus gets more competitive and gets more um, live sports gets more live sports we know Hulu has live sports. We've talked yes. about that before. And so, I mean, really, you might just be paying Disney for your cable eventually, essentially exactly. is what it is. And this cord cutting thing is really reaching the end game. It's starting to feel like with packages like this coming out. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm going to pay for it. I That's that's about all I can say is I'm going to pay for this bundle. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems no like a really good deal. Mind. Yeah, for sure. Like twelve ninety nine. just... Yeah, that's really that's good. That's all you need. For, that's all the content you need. Uh, I'm lucky enough, I've said this before, that my parents pay for Netflix and I just bum off of their account. Yep, for sure. Um, Netflix might be cutting down on multi-account um, or multi-profile accounts. We'll have to see about that in the future. Mm-hmm. But another thing here is ESPN Plus has a lot of like more obscure sports right now, which are tougher to find. They have a lot of soccer, which is awesome for me because it's very difficult to find soccer and all of the soccer-watching subreddits have been shut down. Yep. Um, they have a few basketball games. Um, they have NHL, right? They have some NHL. Yeah. I think they have some WNBA. They have college baseball, stuff like that. But I'm very excited about it. Also, I a lot of the journalism I read is sports journalism, and a lot of the stuff I want to read is on ESPN Plus and blocked mm. by that. And it's like, I don't want to pay $5 oh, a month. Oh, that's nice. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, so you get all of the bonuses. You get like their fantasy draft guides and yep. all of their like Heisman rankings. Go Adrian Martinez, still in like, tied for third <laughs> in the betting odds. And Nebraska's top 20 power rankings, which is insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but not only do you have that, you have 
the journalistic content side of ESPN. You've got the sports side of ESPN. You've got everything on Hulu. Disney can put all of the 21st century, 20th century Fox stuff that they have. Um, They, they own like all of the content. There's very little content that they don't own. That isn't like proprietary to another network or another streaming service. And then Disney plus has all of the actual Disney and Marvel content. It's just insane. Yeah, so the interesting thing now is that it's one company, but it's three separate services, right? Exactly, And yeah. there's not a great distinction of, like, you know, when are my kids going to have to go to the Disney TV show or, like, watch their Disney shows in the Disney app versus watching TV yeah. shows in Hulu, like, if you're a family like that. And so that kind of uh, division between apps is kind of clunky, and so it'll be interesting to see if they do, like, a unified app thing, yeah. um, if they integrate with the Apple TV stuff where you can have your different streaming services in one mm-hmm. application. Or so, if they come out with their own hardware box, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I... You look, Roku, mm-hmm. Amazon, and Apple all have their own streaming boxes. And they said it'll be on those streaming boxes, which yeah. doesn't surprise me too much, because, I mean, Disney doesn't do too much hardware. No, um, but, but I wouldn't be surprised I could see if this happen. is one of their first, like, big Four tech days. hardware. Yeah. Or, like, come baked in the TVs, I could see a partnership like that. Um, yeah. Or, like, a stick or something like that. Yeah, but, so, I mean, really, the last big thing we have to drop in the streaming wars after you know, this move is announced is Disney plus to actually come out people to start us to start seeing what the content on that service looks like. And then HBO plus or whatever they're calling their, uh, big yeah. upcoming HBO thing. That HBO AT&T's max. Or whatever ba- yeah. Is. HBO max. That's going to be backed by AT&T and have all of the content that comes along with that. Yeah. Um, so we're getting to the end of, you know, letting the streaming landscape settle. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be, you know, we'll have to keep our eyes on it. One more piece of streaming news relevant to us. If you have an Amazon Prime student account yes. for 99 cents a month, you can add their music streaming service. Yes, I actually had a, I had a Twitter conversation about this with somebody basically saying, uh, so I, I dropped my tweet that was talking about my previous tweet about this whole bundle and how it should happen. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, look at this. And they're like, well, what am I going to do? Uh, I already pay for Spotify. And so I replied to them and they're like, well, Amazon Music isn't very good. And mm-hmm. like the content is pretty similar. The only problem is Spotify's interface. Spotify knows you a lot more. Spotify yeah. has a better image. Um, and I really do think that this 99 cent thing might not really take off because nobody... I think it should be free. I mean... It really should just be part of the... The biggest I'm problem with Amazon yeah. Music is that... I mean, I don't know how the service is because I have no reason to use it. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming their biggest challenge is getting people to actually use the application. Yeah. I would even use if it, it is free. Because if, yeah. if Amazon Music Unlimited was free with my Prime student and I just had this Disney and ESPN Plus Hulu thing... I would probably cancel my Spotify student subscription. There's no need for it if I have all the music I want. If it's competitive content-wise, then, like, the biggest barrier is just, like, getting, giving people a reason to actually do it, which just is not... I don't think, you know, their student subscribers, they probably have a lot, but yeah. not enough to make a huge difference in the grand scheme of things, and then convincing them to pay an extra dollar yeah. is not as enticing as sending them an, e- an email saying, hey, cancel your Spotify subscription because we just gave you Amazon Prime Music for free. Exactly, and I have an Echo device, and if I can just say, hey, Alexa, do this, yeah. play this song, it's very bad at finding songs on Spotify. Their Spotify API is not well built out. Mm-hmm. Um, it never finds the right song, but I'm sure it's much better integrated with Amazon Music. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so our next story, uh, we're not really going to dive into it, but um, I just wanted to briefly say that like there's been a lot of tech news around the recent mass shootings Yeah. because a lot of them originated from a site called 8chan, and there's a lot of history behind this site. Um, 
stuff that I do know, like, some about, but not enough to really dive into yeah. it here. So I think it, you know, like, the way these sites radicalize people and the way these parts of the internet continue to pop up in situations like mm -hmm. this is an interesting topic, but not something I want to speak on until, you know, we've researched it a little yeah. bit better and so I've I done, can be more confident in what I'm saying. I've done a little bit more research into this um, just because of, like, certain journalists I follow mm -hmm. do a lot of research on this stuff. And what I, like, they're literally... Um, like death threats made against these journalists on these yeah. platforms. Um, I what I can say is when you think about like Reddit, you think if you are not super plugged into that kind of stuff, if you think about Reddit, you can think that's a fairly unregulated, free, open platform mm -hmm. to talk. Um, but if you actually look at at it from a decent standpoint, Reddit does a good job of monitoring their content and making sure that their moderators on subreddits do a good job. Yeah, of that. so there's people monitoring it, yeah. and then there's also you know a broader corporate structure, and they shut down subreddits that yeah. show these behaviors, like mm -hmm. specifically the you know like nationalist yeah. white supremacist stuff that's happening on yeah. these other sites. And so when you look at like 8chan and 4chan before it. Yeah they're really just wild west like there's no moderation yeah so and there's nothing people, about the site that like radicalizes people there's no like youtube algorithm making people watch crazy stuff it's just the people on there and like yeah. the culture around the site yeah so when you look at 4chan that's where a lot of this stuff used to happen um but then they got into some troubles and they essentially had to start actually doing a little bit more monitoring so um 4chan is like if reddit had no rules um but that's still not enough for a lot of these people. So then 8chan was created, um, which is basically just a play on 4chan, which is completely unmoderated. Um, they, there are, um, the Christchurch shooting was posted on, um, they post their manifestos they on 8chan. Mani usually they usually post their manifestos. Yeah. This, uh, the Christchurch, Christchurch, New Zealand, uh, mosque shooting was, uh, the link to the live event that he, did while he was doing it was actually posted onto 8chan mm -hmm. somebody had noticed it um but couldn't like track them down before it happened um, i saw this whole thread on twitter about how they were like trying yeah. to find somebody to report it to i think that we should probably save this for like a main topic because yeah. there's just like we a will. lot of stuff you can go into and like it's uh something we want to be careful about when we're talking about yeah. it so I, we'll, we'll come back to this stuff hopefully this year and Give a, have a little bit uh, yeah. more insight on a little more in-depth look at it um, because it really is like a tough question facing the internet yeah. today and it's something that we should talk about but I just want to make sure we're prepared because it's it's heavy stuff yeah all right so something that is not as tough to talk about and uh, just kind of annoying <laughs> yeah Facebook is adding their name to the end of some of your because why would favorite applications so, Instagram by f or from Facebook yeah so when you download Instagram and WhatsApp from the app store pretty soon it'll say Instagram from Facebook what is this a perfume yeah, it's like um, something that it seems like they're doing because they want to make sure that people associate their positive feeling towards Instagrams with Facebook. Yep. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what I think it's going to do is make the people who didn't really realize how intertwined the companies were realize that they are more intertwined than they think and just decrease their positive feeling on Instagram rather than, you know, be like, oh, Facebook does good stuff exactly. too. They'll be like, oh, Facebook has their hands in this. Yeah. They're like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to put as much information on Instagram. Like, so many people's Instagram is pictures of them and, like, their faces and their families. And a lot of people might not want Facebook to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since, like, there's, like, a huge push towards privacy and, like, a lot of data protection stuff. Um, I feel like 
it's just gonna stifle a lot of um a lot of creativity that people are trying to put on these other platforms and stuff like that and i'm not super you know plugged into whatsapp but instagram historically has obviously had a better privacy reputation than facebook and this naming stuff it's small but it's an interesting signal in terms of what we've been seeing of facebook you know pushing out the original founders of these companies they all yeah, have left all by left. now and starting to pull the companies more and more into facebook proper um, it started last year. We had a story on them consolidating all of their messaging services into mm-hmm. like a single backend technology. And then we've seen Mark Zuckerberg in like earnings calls say, you know, oh, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't have to worry what platform you were on if you could just message across them, which is pointing to signs of like maybe they're going to do some actual, you know, linkage between the functionality of the apps. And then we have this where, you know, it's the first user facing thing saying, you know, some of this stuff is starting to blend together, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's going to be too long before we start to see your profiles start linking up, and I'm sure all of the tracking stuff is already in place, yeah. but um, They're it'll be... going to run into some issues, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah, we'll see how users respond to stuff like this. We'll see I how mean, the EU responds to this. True. I mean, mm. this, is, this is small, but I think that it won't be long until we see something bigger that will have a bigger impact on users and mm-hmm. see if it you know, drives more people away from Instagram as they realize they feel the same way they feel about Facebook. Yeah. And if, you know, it could open up an opportunity for another social network, which we haven't, you know, seen a big player since Snapchat in terms of, like, personal social networking. Um, But I don't know. I still use Instagram. I mean, I posted yesterday, and I don't feel about it the same way I feel about Facebook, and a lot of that has to do with the difference in my network on the two of them. You know, I have a very heavily curated Instagram following, mm-hmm. not really anything like that on Facebook where I know I care about most of the posts that are going to be there. Exactly. Um, but moves like this um, will start to affect users' perceptions eventually. Yeah. I, it almost seems like Facebook is daring somebody to break them up, right? Because they start to combine their backends. They say, oh, these are from Facebook. They're kind of doing the opposite of what Google did in the Alphabet breakup, where they kind of separated all the companies under one umbrella, mm-hmm. and they're basically shoving all these companies into Facebook. Yep. And um, the the more they go on, the harder it will be to uh, say that, hey, we can break these up very clearly. Yeah, and it's, I mean... Facebook's strategy has been like, oh, we have all this money. Let's just collect companies that could compete with us. Yeah. And now that they've collected some of those companies and stolen some features, they're just starting to consolidate it. Yep. And I don't think it's going to lead to one app in the future, but it's certainly going to lead to them getting all of the information and advantages that they have on a Facebook user, on an Instagram user, mm-hmm. and you know, leveraging their across-the-web tracking network that they've built. So, yeah. Um, They've got some interesting moves to make in the future, and the world will be watching. Yeah. Um, our... But we talk about Facebook enough, so let's talk about something we don't talk about enough, which is Apple. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> never talk about Apple on the show. <laughs> this is something you know that we don't have to talk about that much. It's an no. Apple privacy scandal. Um, Shangjay, this will be interesting for you, I guess, to have a guest on the show. If you were told that um, there's someone in a room somewhere listening to a conversation that you had with Siri, would you be outraged? Well, seeing as, like, my own personal use case of Siri has so far just been, like... Actually, no, you're right. I would be, I would be absolutely outraged. So that's the way that this story has been pitched. Um, and 
what came out was a report by The Guardian that, uh, I'll, I'll just read the quote. It says, Apple contractors regularly hear confidential medical information, drug deals, and recordings of couples having sex as part of their job providing quality control or grading the company's Siri voice assistant. Yeah. So, mm. um, I mean, this is something that you see in, like, the little messaging that, like, you know, some of this stuff will be used for quality assurance. But I don't think we've ever had it actually, you know, hit the mainstream that, like, there are actual people in buildings listening to these recordings. Yeah. And the only, we have to specify, a lot of these are because people accidentally activate their assistant. Um, They're not just listening because they can. It is only when Siri Mm -hmm. is active that these recordings are Yeah, so the, when you talk to Siri, it records what you're saying, so it can try to interpret what you're listening, right? And the point of uh, these contractors doing this is that, they can take a small percentage of these calls, like a small sample size, and say, oh, was this like a uh, invalid Siri activation? And, you know, report that information back to Apple so they can tune their algorithm to have less of those invalid uh, activations. And also do things like help Siri respond more accurately. Um, and the sample size that they reported is less than 1% um, actually end up getting listened to, which, you know, when you think about it, it's a big enough number to be scary because yeah. it's not that specific. You know, like if it was like 0.001, I don't think I, I would, it would cause me that pause. But if it's really yeah. close to 1%, then there's a good chance something I said to Siri has been listened to by someone I else. I mean, I use Siri twice a day, maybe. Um, a lot of times it's just to get directions. And mm-hmm. I really don't ever accidentally talk to Siri um, unless we're recording this podcast and I accidentally say, hey, assistant, and it activates. But... I mean, besides that, I don't, and I really have never said anything in front of my phone that I wouldn't mind somebody listen to. If I mean, your phone is always on you. That's true. That's true. My phone is always on me. I just... Um, and the problem with these is, like, if they're specifically looking for bad Siri activations, then that's yeah. specifically just things where the phone was in the room and you didn't really mean to activate yeah. it. And the other space that this comes from is there's, like, a feature on the Apple Watch of uh, raised to talk to Siri which is even That's more yeah. of a hazard in terms of accidentally triggering it. Like if you mm-hmm. accidentally raise your wrist wrong, you could end up send a re- sending a recording to somebody, yeah. which I can see why this stuff makes people uncomfortable. I guess it's something that, you know, when it came out, I was like, obviously that happens. Why is it such a big deal? But I don't think you really think about the actual possible consequences. I mean, the consequences of it probably aren't big because Apple's fairly secure with what they, they say hold it's like secure to. facilities, contractors that are under you know strong legal protections, and they never actually see who is actually talking. Yeah, but I mean, you could give away personally identifiable information in the message. Yeah, um, it's if this were Facebook, we would all be absolutely oh, outraged. Absolutely. That's the thing is like if the Facebook portal had been doing this, and they likely are. They likely are. I mean, I uh, think uh, since this Apple's pause this program to reevaluate how they're going to manage the sensitivity of the information, which I think is the right thing to do. Like if a contractor hears something you shouldn't have heard, that audio recording should be like marked and stuff like that. But um, uh, Google and Alexa also had, or and Amazon have also had similar programs and they also are putting those on pause. So it's definitely like a, it was a story of a day type of thing and there was a lot of outlash for it, but I don't think it'll be a big thing in the future. And I think it's just the way some of this stuff has to work. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just what happens. As long as they keep the user anonymous, which we know Apple does a great job of doing. Yeah. Um, like, it's a company I trust to hold my data. Obviously, yeah. I have three devices here that are all Apple, and I've never worried about my data security. 
Yeah, it's just a tough thing for consumers to hear, especially framed around like the, you know, medical information, drug deals stuff that Guardian was putting in the headlines. Yeah. So, speaking of tough things for consumers to hear, <laughs> um, turns out electric scooters aren't so great. So, if you're looking at like electric scooter marketing, obviously the convenience stuff is a big thing, but they also push that it's like, you know, good for the environment it's part of like the future of mobility right like this is what people should be doing using these scooters because it's electric and good for the environment and stuff and there was a study published by the environmental research letters just like a, a journal that does environmental impact studies um and um it basically said that you know for from the time when you get on the scooter to the time that you get off yes that is like very environmentally efficient like the actual mm -hmm. travel of a scooter yeah the scooter's using electricity, electricity is great very great problem is that electricity has to come from somewhere mm -hmm. well and the problem is that scooter has to come from somewhere that too and these scooters contain you know like a lot of aluminum and all these mm -hmm. parts that are environmentally there's a big impact in creating them especially the batteries and stuff like that and so when you combine that with the fact that some of these scooters only last a month on the streets, it's like yeah. the environmental cost of making a scooter has to heavily be weighed into the cost of riding one. And that combined with the fact that um, all of these scooters are corralled by people who drive around vans all the time and then redistributed, you also have to weigh the cost of the car. And so this study looked at all that stuff and found that um, traveling a mile on a scooter, it's um, slightly better than driving. Um, but it's worse than biking or taking bus or walking, mm -hmm. which is like the transportation that the scooters were replacing. Yeah. Um, now, and is there anything saying about if you buy your own scooter? If you buy your own <laughs> scooter, which Andre, you know, is really, has gotten really far too close. Yeah. I got to the checkout button. On it. <laughs> I did not do it. I'm looking at it again. So earlier uh, in the podcast, at some point, we talked about the unicorn scooter. Mm -hmm. Um, and after that, I signed up to get emails about it. And they emailed me today and said, hey, you should buy this. And I got very close to buying it. It's from the co-creators of Tile. It has it works essentially exactly like a bird scooter. Yeah. Um, it's an electric scooter. It locks. It unlocks with your phone. It's foldable. It's pretty lightweight. It looks really good. And it looks, oh, I just want it so bad. The, <laughs> but it is it is interesting to see that they are making like single-use specific for yeah. uh, customers rather than these decentralized. And honestly, I think if everybody just had their own electric scooter, we'd all be in a better place. Well, I think when you look at this study, like the big, the key thing here is the durability of the scooters. Because like if they had these scooters that were environmentally costly to make, yeah. but they lasted forever, mm -hmm. you know, it wouldn't be a big issue. But the problem is these things getting beat up and vandalized and stuff only lasting a month or yeah. up to, like the... Average for, like, the first generation of these scooters was, like, at best, if you're being generous, three months. Yeah. Which, and, I mean, if you buy your own, you're not going to leave it out on the street to get yeah, vandalized. Take care of it too, yeah. Sure. Um, but it's also, you know, more scooters per people if everyone's exactly. buying their that's own. True. So that's a big trade-off, too. And so um, one of the things uh, that this made me think is that, you know, Bird's response to this would probably be, hey, you know, we're rolling out our Bird 1 scooter, the scooter that's supposed to last longer. They'd probably, you know, talk yeah. about... Um, how environmentally friendly the making process was, even though I haven't heard that pitch. But yeah. <laughs> the idea is like these, the problems with the scooters right now is that they're not durable. Everybody knows that it affects the company's unit economics and it's showing that it's affecting the environmental impact. This is just another factor that shows how important it is that these companies are able to produce more durable scooters. Yeah. Um, and I think everybody already knew that. 
And so the fact that the study is just a snapshot of that, not necessarily like an indictment on scooters as a concept. No. It's a reflection of the current state of it, but it doesn't say that the future it can never be environmentally friendly if these like, you know, scooters get more durable is really all it is. Yeah. I mean, that that's basically it is the fact that we need better technology within this field, but it's an emerging market. There's obviously a lot of kinks that need to get worked out. Yep, and if you're ever angry at big tech, look up a uh, scooter slash bike share vandalization stories because people are always doing funny things to uh, lash out at yep. big tech, and they're taking it out on the scooters on the streets. A lot so. of lime bikes and lakes out here. Yeah, <laughs> you hate to see it, but yep. you kind of love to see it too. Yeah. Um, briefly, the Samsung Galaxy S10 or the Note 10 stuff yes. was all announced today. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. next week. Um, <laughs> there is a huge list I have here that we're not going to go over right now. We might not talk about it on the next show because it's like our anniversary show, but yeah. we'll talk about Once it. Once we're back in school, you we'll, best be ready. We'll talk about it eventually. Um, there's actually some very exciting stuff. Uh, they're, they're really trying, as they always do. Um, yeah. But for now, we're going to take a break, and after that, you'll hear Shang-Jay talk a lot more. Yeah, all right. Here we go. <laughs> All right, and we are back with Shang J. Yo yo yo. Um, I just want to start with, I guess we're gonna like the goal of this, I guess, is to recap our summers as interns in Seattle. Something that we were talking about on this show forever, constant before it actually occurred. And yeah. our summer in Seattle is now coming to a close. There's mere minutes left of podcasting here, and so this is so how we're sad. gonna yeah we're gonna go out just by kind of looking back on how our summers went. Um, and so I guess I want to start with Shangjay. What were your expectations going into this summer? Well, I guess like Seattle was pretty much like my first big, like big city experience. Um, so a little bit about my background. I, uh, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and then decided to go to school right next door at the University of Nebraska Lincoln. So, um, haven't really done much traveling in my life. And like Seattle is like my first breakout kind of moment out of the Midwest. And, um, it's just been like a, I guess my expectations were, like, I knew I was going to love it here, so um, surprise, surprise, there's not a lot of huge diversity back in back home. Yeah, and, shocker. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, like, you know, coming from, like, a mostly white neighborhood and the coming over here, and there's just, like, a bunch of people, like, a bunch of like Chinese people, a bunch of Asians everywhere. Like, um, I know that, like, even during my first week here, I was able to do meetings, like, all in Chinese. And that was just, like, super refreshing to me. It was just, like, kind of a huge culture shock to me. Uh, I guess that was, like, one of the things I was um, kind of expecting when I was coming over to Seattle. And also something that you need to know about me is I'm a huge foodie. Mm. And the yeah. food scene in Seattle Food is in Seattle. Absolutely popular. A plus. Yeah. Yeah. Really good stuff. I, I totally know what you mean. Um, in Nebraska, I'm pretty dark. Um, sure. Out places out here, I look You're pretty white. white. <laughs> yeah, so you have to remember this is an audio medium. So like yeah. my mom listened to the show for a while and did not realize that Andre was Latino. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, Shang Jay is an Asian American, so yeah. it makes sense that coming to a city like this yeah. is especially a like much when I went deal. to California for the first time last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like, oh wow, there are people that look a lot more like me. Like there's a lot of dark mm -hmm. hair and brown skin happening out here. Which just doesn't happen nearly as much in Nebraska, which is a great part about the, the diversity of these big cities. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about what you actually worked on? Yeah, so um, again, just a little brief background. Um, this entire summer, I've been interning at Zillow. 
um, just in case y'all don't really know what Zillow is. Um, Zillow is just like this real estate uh, tech company, essentially, that's just trying to kind of disrupt that real estate market. Oh, they know what Zillow is. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So this entire summer, I've been working on the activation team. And the activation team is kind of in charge of trying to activate new users to use the Zillow, Zillow platform and to kind of keep them going and try to keep them like within that Zillow platform. So a lot of my stuff is actually living directly in the Zillow homepage. So my I had two main intern projects this entire summer. Uh, my first intern project was to kind of kick off the personalized homepage initiative that they have at Zillow right now. So essentially what that is is um, every single time there's like a registered user or someone like a returning user to the Zillow website, there's going to be a homepage personalized just for them. So the stuff I was working on, it was some custom messaging that would say like, welcome back and then your name. And there was a bunch of edge cases I had to kind of code against, trying to make sure that like the name that you put in is like appropriate because like we don't want necessarily yeah. saying like, welcome back and insert an appropriate word here. And the second phase of this like uh, kind of personalization initiative that I started was um, trying to display property recommendations um, directly to users. So um, one of the big things that Zillow has is they just have a wealth of knowledge on homes and about users. And like when uh, users are like perusing homes and clicking on these specific homes, they can figure out like, oh, these homes you might be interested in because like we know what your preferences are based on what homes and what properties that you're clicking on. So they wanted to kind of leverage that information that they have and display that property uh, those property recommendations right on the homepage to kind of like start you down the funnel of maybe buying a home through using Zillow. Um, so that was kind of like the first project that I was kind of working on. Um, the second project that I was working on was kind of recreating the top nav and the page footer for every single page on Zillow essentially. So just to kind of give like a brief overview of how Zillow kind of archetypes everything is there's this specific like service that every single Zillow page calls and then that service populates every single page with the top nav that you see um, and also the footer of the of the every single page um, so essentially what was happening was they were leveraging like older technologies and a lot of deprecated technologies and that was leading to very bad performance on a lot of these Zillow like pages so essentially, um, I was tasked with recreating the top nav and the page footer from scratch using a new technology. Um, and with that, like they're projecting that uh, performance for pretty much every single Zillow web page will increase by around 20%, which that's is awesome. something that's like super cool for me. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and it's just like, quite a nice <laughs> statistic I yeah. can add and pat him It's always nice it. to have like concrete numbers yeah, that you absolutely. can just talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say is like the best thing you've gained overall from any part of the past three months? What is the greatest thing that you've gained? Um, I would say the greatest thing that I've gained is uh, always taking the initiative. So like Seattle just is just moves so fast as opposed to like back in the Midwest. And like both in like work and also just like 
being in Seattle and having these opportunities. And internships move fast. Like the three months goes by like a blink of the eye. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like any single time that you see an opportunity, you know, to like go out, like go have some fun or even like you see an opportunity at work, um, you have to move fast in order to like get to it and like take the initiative to um, just kind of jump forward and just go all out. Uh, So like one of the biggest examples of this was... um, so me and Jacob, we, we did a hackathon sort of thing that was, like, held at Zillow. It's a company-wide hackathon. And then, like... Like a week-long yeah. hack week, yeah. It was it was an amazing experience. And uh, Jacob and I uh, decided to um, have an idea for our hack week, and we pitched in from the entire company. We thought it was just going to be me, Jacob, and our other friend, Ben, um, just working on it. And... But, like, I guess, like, I guess my pitch was decent. And yeah. then, like, 14, our, our team ended up being, like, around 14 developers, user researchers, data scientists, um, oh, wow. a designer. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, we ended up getting, like, a pretty decent-sized team. And we were able to take lead on that project, make a lot of, do a lot of uh just product decisions you know, and, stuff and coordination like that. of work which was something that i never done with a team at that scale um i feel like we both you know were able to grow in terms of like we never worked with a team that size in a leadership capacity before yeah no absolutely and so you know it was a really great opportunity and that's just something where all it took was us you know putting ourselves out there a little bit and so one of the things i think is important you know as interns there's a lot of places where all it takes is you putting yourself out there a little bit. And so I guess a, another question I'd have for you is, what's one of those areas, you know, I feel like we did a good job taking advantage of our summer, but what's something you wish you would have done sooner and maybe not, you know, delayed um, putting yourself out there and going for? Um, I think for me, it would be creating more relationships with just people throughout the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think, like, one of the biggest examples of this was actually, like, our relationship with other interns. So, um, at the very beginning of the internship, like, uh, me, Jacob, and our friend Ben, we were just like, oh, hey, like, uh, we want to get to know the other interns, and then we decided to, like, kind of host a little cookout for a bunch of the interns, and um, then quite a few people came. I even showed up to that yeah, one. Yeah, you did <laughs> show up to that one. And then we were just like, oh, great, like, maybe we can, like, you know, has as, like, a... As like a regular intern, thing, like yeah. make it a squad, like maybe we'll reciprocate, you know, <laughs> because like, I don't know, we went to the KFC, like dropped 60 bucks on like yeah. buying burgers and just like other um, condiments and stuff like that. And then it just like never really happened and we kind of gave up. But like um, just today when we had our little like intern lake, lake party, um, there was just so many people that I've met. Um, and just like hanged out with for like the first time. It was just like an absolute blast. Yeah. Um, also like this past Sunday, I was, uh, hanging out with like three other interns that I didn't hang out with that much, um, over the course of the entire summer. And then I also just had so much fun, but like, this is literally my last week. Like I should have taken the initiative, um, formed those relationships earlier. So do you think it's like not being afraid to be the one putting in extra effort to make those relationships happen? Because I felt like, you know, we tried like what we thought was an acceptable amount and then just kind of gave up a little quicker than maybe yeah. we should have? Uh, I definitely uh, concur with the fact that, like, uh, we should have just tried harder. Well, me specifically and just, like, <laughs> in general, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I mean, intern communities are awesome. Absolutely. I've experienced the intern community in the Bay and the intern community here in Seattle, and it's 
it's just an insane experience that I don't think there's anything like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the major benefits of coming out to a city like this is there's so many other interns here and people organize, you know, you get the Facebook group invites yeah. for stuff that, you know, you never would see. And I never saw interning in Kansas City. I mean, yeah. there's no, when you get to a city, you know, with the tech community this big, there's like a intern community there as well during yeah. the summer. And it's, you know, so exciting to be around um, go to events with other people that are of such similar mindsets, you know, high achieving. And they also turn into professional connections, which yeah, is exactly. awesome. You, you meet these people that then are like, so I've, I've been, they released Forbes has their 30 under 30 summit mm, yeah. coming up and they released their list of um, under 30 scholars, which isn't like the list of actual like 30 under 30, mm. but there's like an elite list of people. And I think about six of my LinkedIn connections that I've met um, through being interns are uh, Forbes under 30 scholars. That's, That's crazy. Insane. Um, yeah. Former guest of the podcast, Jaron Petty is Heck actually yeah, um, an uh-huh. under 30 scholar. One of the most inspirational people I know. And I met him because I interned and I sat right next to him. Um, and these, these people are all very impressive and you get to meet like some people that you know are going to be in high places in the future. Yeah. There's just not a lot of opportunities like it. And even for us, we don't, you know, you get to do this for a few summers if you're lucky. Yeah. And if not, you get one or two. And so it's just like you don't get to do this often. So there's a lot of pressure on getting the most out of it. and Doing it right. Mm-hmm. And there's just so many facets to doing it right. You know, it's it's meeting other interns. It's putting yourself out there within your company. Mm-hmm. It's making sure you're doing enough good work to, you know, secure future opportunities. Yeah, there's social and professional pressures that come along yep. with it, but they're it's very good the pressures. City, you know, yeah. like we also have three months to decide if Seattle is a place that we could see spending more time in. For sure. And I felt like, you know, us in particular did a good job of like doing some road trips, you know, getting to see the surrounding area. Um, but there's just, there's a lot of pressure on getting the most out of these experiences. And so I think that, you know, as people who have had great summers, I think that we can look back on what we did and say like, yeah, we did do a good job of, you know, kind of capitalizing on these opportunities we had. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just like a very awesome experience. Um, Jacob, you want to talk quickly about your project? Yeah, so my main project was called Onboarding Version 3, um, and basically what it is is it's the new ver- it's a new design for the onboarding for the Zillow iPhone app, and so um, when you install the app for the first time and open it, they, you need to like create an account or sign in, and then we like to see you know if you're looking to buy a house, sell a house, what's your price range, that sort of thing. And so that is just all in a series of pop-ups and my summer project was redesigning those pop-ups. And so with my past experiences, the projects that I worked on were, you know, more for other developers, things that don't really have a high customer impact. And so getting to work on a project like that, you know, was stuff that I didn't really think was possible within an internship and it was extremely exciting for me. and I got to work with like such talented designers that it was, you know, the best interface I've ever gotten the chance to build. And so all of that combined for like a really exciting, um, you know, summer of work on this stuff that I thought, you know, is going to have a really high impact and I was pretty passionate about. Um, and it's kind of a phased thing. And I got through a couple of the phases and um, one of them was in the main Zillow app and then there were some, you know, crash issues with other features. And so it's kind of stalled a little bit, but hopefully by the end of the week, you know, 
thousands of users will start to see the work that I did. And mm -hmm. that's not something that I expected to get out of the summer at all, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, along with that, the Hack Week experience that me and Shang-Jay had, getting to work with a team like that um, on our own project, kind of opened my eyes to project management stuff. So I'm exploring those opportunities for next summer. So, you know, I was able to grow in multiple ways, not only in seeing what my interests were in, but also in getting, you know, professional iOS experience, which is something I've always um, been looking for. Um, and so I felt like I got a lot of out of this summer and I was... I think like in terms of results, it's some of the best, you know, outcomes that I could have possibly seen getting such a high impact feature created and not something I expected at all. So, I mean, a lot of that really comes down to um, just getting lucky with the team that you're placed on, that they're so prepared with like an intern project that puts yeah, you in that position. Absolutely. hundred percent true. Yeah, do you want to talk about your project on the Maps team? Yeah, so I worked on the Google Maps mobile team for Android. Um, I can't talk particularly um, specific about what I did um, just because of pr proprietary technologies and confidentiality. <laughs> um, but I, I can say that uh, as Jacob was talking about, you can kind of look at the scale. We actually like measured a scale. I'm working on essentially what is a major bug fix um, that will disproportionately affect uh, and help um, next billion users. Um, people with slow data connections, stuff like that. And so uh, we set up some metrics and I was able to see that the uh, actual impact of the bug fix I'm making is on the terms of like 100 million people a day um, will this, this impact this bug that I'm fixing. Jeez. Um, which I think is just absolutely insane, yeah. right? Like I look at this and it's like, oh, 100 million people a day. And then I remember Google Maps has like billions of users, <laughs> but still it's like, that is just crazy that that many people will hit my code. It's like power um, of software. Right yeah. There. So, I mean, it's, it's super awesome to work on something like that. And then I also, like Jacob, reached out into some product management, um, and I've begun the launch of a new feature in Google Maps um, through my mentorship program, and I actually, like, did the product requirements document. I, I did a whole side project. I did research. I looked at some metrics about a bunch of stuff, and I worked with a product manager to really set up um, the entire process for building out this new feature that will help um, people begin using like everyday it's stuff for like everyday trips and user generated content yeah so in my experience you know you kind of have to get lucky with your main project there's not a ton of stuff you can do to you know place yourself on the team that you want but once you're on that team and you're assigned your project, the, everything else you do after that, you can kind of help determine how that goes. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to reach for extra positions, get extra experience, you know, meet with people who have some of your interests, then um, that's all on you to do that stuff. And that's where the, you know, seizing those opportunities can really help. Absolutely. Um, I think there are just a ton of opportunities when you're at companies like this. There are even opportunities. There are opportunities everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, if you are in college, if you are looking at internships, um, make a spreadsheet. Write down every company you can think of, and then Google that company name plus internship. 
and yep. apply, 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 apply. Yep, I applied as much as I could. I mean, I had a giant spreadsheet. I think I want to say I applied to around 70 companies, and I only had you know a few offers, and only one of them was as good as Zillow. So mm-hmm. you really just have to keep pushing through it, and something will come up eventually in my experience. Um, and so, I mean, there's, there's stuff out there, and if you want to have an experience like us, I mean, it, it really just takes applying, 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 and making sure your resume is nice and polished, which, yes. you know, we're all getting ready to get back into that season again. Yep, it's recruitment season. The yeah. grind. So, I mean, with that, you know, let's talk about what we're all thinking here going forward in terms of, you know, looking at next summer, because yeah. we're rising juniors, all of us. We have one more internship left before we're done with the undergrad, at least, so... What are we thinking here? Andre, you want to go? Yeah, so I'm looking at either doing a return offer at Google for a software engineering internship, but I'm also looking at some other companies just kind of testing the waters because I do want to go into product management. So I might be doing a local internship, um, doing a little bit of dev work, and then moving into product ownership and product management um, to get myself some experience and then maybe stay on at Google doing some software engineering and then continuing back at this company my senior year of college. Or I might do... um, a like a unicorn type company like Airbnb, Uber, Lyft, some sort of product management internship there because I really do think um, as uh, my pod mate um, who I basically worked on, worked with, uh, she was my partner this entire summer on our projects, um, says product management is somewhere where you can really take your whole self to work if you work within business and technology. And I think that's kind of what my calling has become. Uh, Jacob and Shrengjie? Uh, yeah, I guess I can go next. Um, so uh, this c- upcoming semester, um, I'm actually looking to do some economics research. So uh, another fun fact about me, I'm actually a computer science and economics double major. And like, I guess something that I haven't really had much uh, experience in is within my second major, kind of exploring those opportunities and things like that. Uh, one of the things that I got to do at, during my time at Zillow was to actually interview one of the chief economists at the at Zillow, and that gave me a lot of insight. And um, I just wanted to, you know, like try it out for a little bit. Um, so this entire next semester, I will be um, doing some research for one of the econ professors over at the University of Nebraska. Do you think that could end up affecting what you do next summer? You know, could you see yourself getting into econ? Um. I don't necessarily think so because I still see myself on the trajectory of either being a software engineer or uh, maybe looking into product management, uh, things like that. Um, but that being said, um, I would just like to have that experience like under my belt and kind of to, like see if that's something that I'm interested in. Um, something that's like also like super cool is that like computer science really lends itself to a lot of econ research. Um, so like having that side, having that technical side of yeah. being able to code, being it, yeah, when you can code your data analytics, yeah, absolutely makes it a lot easier. Um, and yeah, so I guess um, what else I'm also looking for is for my next summer, like I do kind of want to do like like I mentioned, like either a product management role or like a software engineering role. Um, so something that's super cool is that um, both me and and Jacob over here are going to be development managers for Design Studio next year, mm-hmm. and um, that will be kind of like just give us more experience in that management position, kind of making design decisions. Jacob and will be my boss this year. That's true. <laughs> I'm that a is... developer on his team. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like because of that, like maybe I'll 
um, get more experience and just like looking into if that's something that I want to do eventually. Um, like Jacob mentioned, uh, we both kind of did took lead positions during our Half Week project, and I really love that experience. So like that's also something that I'm really looking into. Um, that being said, like we both me and Jacob today got our return offers to Zillow. So yeah, like, exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So like. Maybe we can use that to finesse our way into, you know, bigger and better opportunities. But, um, yeah, I kind of just want to see if I can get into one of those big tech companies that, you know, like Andre's currently at right now. But, yeah, so we'll, we'll just kind of have to see. You know, just got to shoot your shot and yeah. see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing about uh, return offers like these are, like, you know, it, it sets a floor on where you could end up. You know, I no yeah. longer have to be scared about ending up in the Midwest or at home again. Mm-hmm. I will at least be in Seattle, which is amazing and nothing that I should be able to complain about. Seattle's um, a great at least. <laughs> yeah, it's a, no, it's an amazing place to be. And so um, my next summer right now, my thought process is kind of, you know, begrudgingly go back through all of the application cycle, you know, train back up for the coding interviews and see what opportunities come up. And at the end of the day, you know, I'll be evaluating what I have against um, coming back to a company that I know I loved this summer and also potentially um, in the next week, hopefully be interviewing for a PM position at Zillow. And so um, exploring that path could be interesting and it'll be, you know, I'll, I'll have to make some decisions because it Another thing about internships that me and Shang-Jay have both been thinking about a lot recently, and, you know, Andre's interested in PM as well, he'll talk about that, um, is there's kind of a trade-off, you know, if you um, are a developer, it's a common path to move into PM eventually once you... um, Most product managers, especially in technical product management stuff, were software engineers. Yeah, and with the program that we're in, you know, we've demonstrated that we have some business interest already so we're probably pretty likely to go down that path eventually um doing it as an intern could uh give some indication of whether that path is worth pursuing Mm -hmm. but what you're trading off there is not getting another summer of technical experience because while you do learn a, um, a decent amount in school what can really affect you know your value in the industry is showing the things that you've accomplished technically and so it's like, it could be a trade-off between figuring out if I liked product management and, you know, getting some legitimate machine learning experience under my belt that can make me a more valuable employee in the future, yeah. even a more valuable manager in the future. And so those are some of the discussions that we've been having. And that's kind of, you know, it's a great place to navigate. Those are two amazing options. Um, and I'll have to be thinking about that if I do have the chance to PM at all. And so... Um, yeah, it'll be an interesting summer next summer. I'll definitely be shooting my shot at the big companies. and Hopefully we're in the um, same city. Yeah, checking yeah, in the startups sure. and um, looking at opportunities in other cities. You know, experiencing Seattle was amazing, and it made me realize, like, I want to do this in one other city before I graduate and have to pick somewhere for realsies. And so yeah. if I can try the Bay, if I can try New York, something like that, um, that would be great as well. Um, so... That's kind of been my thought process throughout the whole thing, and I think it's it's going to be another long semester um, figuring out where I'm going to end up. Yeah. All right. So do you either of you have anything else to say about this summer? I think that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, it's just been an amazing summer. Um, 
thanks for having me on the show. I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, thanks for coming. Thanks yeah, for coming absolutely. Out. It was. It was. I had an absolute blast. So yeah. If you have any questions or comments, um, we can ask Shang questions for you. We can answer them on Twitter. You can follow <laughs> us on Twitter at HackersPod. You can send us an email at HackerSlackerPod at gmail.com, or you can send us an Anchor voice message through the Anchor app. Um, highly recommend giving at HackersPod a, a follow on Twitter, and we will talk to you on August 17th. Bye.